routine exams, but don't put off your eye exam. Um, a lot of times you can't tell. Some of the changes that happen with these conditions can be very subtle over time and your body adapts to them and you don't really realize it till it gets to a curtain, certain critical point. It's not always like mine, which was very dramatic. Hi everyone, welcome to the Good Health Cafe the place to learn about how to navigate the healthcare system and understand health in plain language. I'm your host, Nikita Boston-Fisher, a health educator with a passion for meeting people where they are. Today's guest is Dr. Judith Horn. Judith is a physical therapist with experience in a vast array of settings. Today, she is here to share with us her vision loss experience. Grab your warm drink, but before we get to the episode, I have a quick announcement. If you've been enjoying the podcast and are looking for some interaction, then join us in the Good Health Cafe Lounge. It's your opportunity to ask questions, share experiences, and get help in a safe, intimate, small space while learning about various health topics. Let's make this cafe interactive in the lounge. If you're interested, please reach out to me via email or social media. The details are in the episode notes. Now let's get to the episode. Hi, Judith. Welcome to the Good Health Cafe. Thank you so much for coming. Could you please introduce yourself to the audience? Oh, hello, Nikita. Thank you so much for inviting me to be part of your podcast. I really am uh, very thrilled to be here today. My name is Judith Horn. I am a licensed physical therapist. I've practiced for over 40 years. I've practiced in a variety of settings, including acute care hospital, rehab, home health, and academic appointments. I've started out with a bachelor's in physical therapy from Northeastern University in Boston, went on to get a master's in health education from St. Joe's in Philadelphia, and then further went on to get a clinical doctorate in physical therapy from Drexel University, also in Philadelphia. In addition, I'm board certified in geriatrics by the American Board of Physical Therapy Specialties. Most important, I'm a wife, a mother, grandmother of six. And I've had a few challenges the past five years, and I look forward to maybe helping other people along the, the journey for themselves or someone that they're, they're taking care of. Could you tell us a little bit about some of those challenges, please? The first challenge began in 2016, and that started, that was a, a more dramatic vision loss. I had what was called a macular hole. And as dramatic as that was, it was temporarily over a course of a year. And I was actually able to, after a couple of surgeries and other treatments, gain back about 95% of my vision. However, in about a year ago, in 2020, I woke up near morning and I immediately knew something was terribly wrong. And I had lost the vision in the lower half in my right eye. So if you imagine a circle drawing a line across the circle, I lost the vision in the lower half of my eye. And it was very upsetting. I didn't know what to do. And I already had some uh, caregivers in place in terms of specialists, but I didn't know where to call first and what to do first. I went and was able to see my uh, regular ophthalmologist uh, within 24 hours. He uh, diagnosed me with an eye infection, told me, don't worry. Everything was fine. A couple eye drops for a week and I'd be fine. 
three days later, when I still couldn't see, I called my retinal specialist that I had from my first eye problem. And he set up an emergency appointment for me at one of his offices. And when I went there, I thought I had perhaps a retinal detachment. And his colleague who saw me said, well, the good news is you don't have a retinal detachment. The bad news is that you have an optic nerve problem. And I'm, I'm pretty sure I know what it is, but it's so rare that I have to send you to the emergency department at Will's Eye Hospital in Philadelphia. So then the next part of the journey started there. Wow. And that was, all, as you would say, literally overnight, <laughs> you went literally. to sleep fine. <laughs> yes. And this is, I was so, with my first problem, what's called um, a macular hole, which is in the back of the eye, it was quite an involved surgery. And I had some complications afterwards that took me almost a full year to recover, I would say, my function and my visual acuity. And I was so worried about it, that happening in the other eye, that I was really puzzled by what had happened because I didn't have floaters. I didn't have the flashing lights, all the usual things that they tell you to look for. It was just like this dark shadow on the bottom half of my vision. And what it turned out to be is what they call an optic nerve stroke. So the long name for it is non-arteretic anterior ischemic optic neuropathy. They have some idea what causes it, but they don't have a full idea of what causes it. One of the, there are risk factors, including cardiovascular, diabetes, obesity, um, sleep apnea, high cholesterol, high blood pressure, and so forth. I didn't have any of those that I know about, and they did a whole battery of tests there. And they basically told me I was the healthiest person they ever saw that had this condition. Wow. That it was bad luck. I I did find out some other things as time went on with other appointments that, again, I'm hoping maybe I can share. Even though, even though my condition and actually both of my conditions are more rare than what you typically hear of, I think some of the lessons that I've learned might be helpful to other people. Vision loss is very prevalent. According to the CDC, there's uh, 90 million Americans 40 years and over that have vision and eye problems. That's about three in five people. 400 adults are at high risk for vision loss. And about one in 28 Americans older than 40 have blindness or low vision. The leading causes of vision loss are age-related macular degeneration. And the macula is in the back of the eye. There are several kinds of that, cataracts, diabetic, retinopathy, uh, glaucoma, and other conditions. So if you kind of work from the front of the eye to the back of the eye, you have the, the cornea, which is like a dome, clear dome that protects the eye. And then you have the lens where people get cataract surgery. And then in the back of the eye, you have the macula, the retina, and the optic nerve that goes into the brain. And who knew that there is a specialist for every single part of the eye? So there, it is not like you go and they you have one surgeon and they fix the whole thing. You get to have many different specialists and subspecialists and super specialists, as I call them. And it's quite an adventure navigating their offices because even though they work for the same health system and the surgeons themselves are marvelous, their computer systems don't necessarily talk to each right. other. 
So you have file folders full of reports that you need to get printed out and you take them physically from one to the other. And they're so happy that when you actually hand them the report from one doctor to the next and the results of your tests and so forth. So that alone is a lot to, uh, to deal with when you're trying to be the patient and also um, trying to be the medical supervisor and advocate at the same time. How did you figure out that you needed to have your printouts and carry them with you? Did you always know that or does that come from being a healthcare professional? That comes a a large part from being a healthcare professional. And also I, I took care of my mother and grandmother for many years. And so when you're not in one health system and generally with specialists, you are in multiple systems, you do have to have your own reports with you. So it's, it's a lot to organize, especially when you can't see that well. Yeah. <laughs> <Good> <laughs> and you're trying to organize your reports. It, it, it's quite interesting. So when I first, after I was first diagnosed, you're kind of in shock and you think, oh, well, okay, well, my other condition got better. This will get better. And they're like, no, there's really no cure for this. And there's a small percentage of people that get a small percentage of their vision back, but not fully. And then you have the risk of it happening in the other eye, as well as having it further extend even in the affected eye. And I think for me, when I went back for a follow-up appointment, because I'm a physical therapist, I'm hopeful, I'm optimistic. My husband describes me as not even taking yes for an answer. So, you know, I'm always like, you know, I'll fix this, you know, I'm going to get this full steam ahead. So I was sitting in the chair where they're doing the visual acuity test and the big E chart, the visual acuity. So the technician says, okay, read me what you can. So I read off two lines and I'm like, yeah, okay. And she said, anything else? And I'm like, there's only two lines. And she's like, you don't see anything else? And then I moved my head and scanned my eyes down. And of course, there was the whole lower half of the test that I had missed. Interestingly, even though I'm missing the bottom half of my vision, in the acuity test, I test 2020. I have perfect vision by the acuity test. One of the other things that I've learned is that the tests are not very specific for this condition. And some of the other tests that they do are visual field tests, where they actually look at how far out your vision extends from a dot in the middle, and they test that in each eye separately. And there's also some contrast testing in terms of different shades of gray. So to see where your vision um, is better or worse. And so those types of testing are not routinely done. So I think it's hilarious that I have 20-20 vision and I can't see out of the bottom half of my right eye. In my left eye, where I had the macular hole, I really appreciate now how well my surgeon fixed that, even though it was quite an ordeal. But I still have in the center, the macula is in the middle of the retina. And in that center of the vision, I have what I call a pothole. So it's not quite clear in the center part of the vision, but it is marvelous. You know, your body adapts to it. And the first four or six months were really bad. I I had a lot of um, other symptoms related to that that we can talk about. But one of the things that my husband really, his aha moment 
was when I was making him grilled cheese sandwich for lunch. And I forgot to take the, you know, how there's paper between this cheese slices. Well, I didn't notice that there was paper. So I grilled him the whole sandwich with the paper and the cheese and put it in front of him. And he took a bite. He's like, there's something wrong with this sandwich. What? What could be wrong with the sandwich? (laughs) So I gave him a cheese paper sandwich. Um, He (laughs) pouring with your toppings. (laughs) Yes, he's really been my best advocate. I think when I was preparing for this, I I looked back at something that I had written in 2016, and I hadn't looked at it in five years. And the first thing I wrote when I when I had the first eye condition was I hadn't anticipated the emotional distress of vision loss. And even though the first time I knew it was temporary, it is really scary when you can't see the E, that big E that's at the top of the vision chart. And they're putting fingers in front of your face to see if if you can see one finger, two finger, like right here in front of your face. Mm -hmm. It's very, very scary. The other things are the the economic impact. I had to, I had to really, I had to stop working. I was still working in 2016 as a physical therapist. I had to navigate the whole disability issues and work with human resources and manage all that. I ended up having to stop work a year, about a year earlier than I would have just because between both eye problems, one of the things that I noticed is I have a certain amount of visual currency every day. And I, I only have so much to that. And I have to really plan out how I'm going to use my day depending upon what my activities are on that particular day. And there's some days I just need to kind of reboot and just sit in a dark room and kind of rest my eyes. And that goes back also because it's not just about the eyes. Your eyes are part of your balance system. So you have your eyes, your ears, and your sensors in your body. And all three of them need to work together. And as a physical therapist, I've worked with people with varying degrees of vision loss or impairment and that have had balance issues from concussions or brain injuries and other things. But being on that other side is really different because besides the vision loss, my the three parts of my balance system were not playing well together. And so I had some spinning sensation. I had a sensation of like my head floating above my body, or even if you've ever seen those bobblehead dolls. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's kind of that's kind of how I walked around all day, like a bobblehead doll. And my 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 husband, ever the wonderful advocate, part of my therapy was literally walking from the front door down the driveway to the mailbox and back, holding onto his arm for dear life. Mm-hmm. And then as we started taking a little bit longer walks, and but I was still like holding on to him for dear life. So it's it's still quite an adjustment. Um, and there are some days that are better than others. But generally, things have gotten better compared to where I was last year at this time. I'm in a lot better place. I'm glad to hear that, that you're in a much better place. That therapy that you just described, was that self-prescribed therapy? (laughs) Yes. And it was self-prescribed because with the first part, 
the first eye problem, the type of surgery I had, they take the fluid out of your eye and they replace it with a gas bubble. Mm-hmm. And you have to face down. Your ears don't like that. Mm-hmm. The system in your ears don't like that. And you can get a spinning sensation. Because of this, of this, of this surgery, you can't do the head repositioning maneuvers that you what might have with a physical therapist for this type of balance issue. So I actually had to see another, I actually had to see a neurologist who had to prescribe me medication because I, they couldn't do the head repositioning maneuvers. The second time there was more of a disconnect, like a more of a bobblehead feeling like a floating feeling where my movements were always slightly behind what I wanted them to be. So Mm -hmm. I was out of sync with what I wanted to do, but being a physical therapist, I, and my husband is an occupational therapist. So we actually designed our program for me. I wouldn't recommend that for someone who doesn't have that expertise for us. It worked for someone else. They would benefit from going to a therapist and having an evaluation to see how their parts of their balance system are working together and have a progressive program that would help them with not going to necessarily, obviously the site is not going to return, but you can do what are called habituation exercises and just a progression of challenged balance exercises that really help your system to start to work together again so that you can uh, reduce fall risk and feel more confident in your everyday activities. Thanks. We, I'm, I want to go back to an interesting term that you use called visual currency. But just before we go there, can you clarify what you mean by a habituation exercise? Uh, habituation means that you, you do something um, a little bit at a time that's progressively harder until you get used to it. So besides my walks to the mailbox and the walks in the neighborhood, my husband is a wonderful golfer and I had only been starting to play golf. So we used actually golf as a habituation, just standing over the golf ball and trying to take a swing, trying to hit the ball, even riding in the golf cart. At first, I couldn't even tolerate a car ride. Mm -hmm. So gradually getting that back. Perfect. Thank you. So tell us, Judith, about visual currency and what you mean when you say I only have a certain amount of visual currency a day. For me, the visual currency can be about how much light there is. So that can be as simple as adding more light. But problems come into doing everyday things. Like, for instance, I love to cook and I have a whole cookbook collection and the cookbooks have small a lot of them have very small print and sometimes they're on a light background with a light font or print. There's not a big contrast. So I have trouble with that. I found out the hard way a few times by adding the wrong amount of ingredients. And so not good, especially when you're baking, you can get away with it more cooking. So I actually have a little magnifier that I can use. There's also some technology on this on your smartphone. There, there's an accessibility feature on smartphones where you can go in and you can increase the font or you can put a magnifier on there. You can add some voice commands. When my mother had lost her vision due to the same problem that I have, my brother had set up a system with Alexa 
in her home so that she could turn the lights on and off. She could turn music on and off and so forth so that she had more independence. It's very hard to to go from being an independent person to being so dependent. Mm-hmm. And it's it, it does take a, a lot of emotional energy to go through that, even with the first time knowing I would get my vision back. But now the second time going, basically, as nice as everyone was, they basically said, well, yeah, you have this. There's really no cure for it. Nothing we can do. Be happy you're not blind. See you in four months. Right. And that was, there you go. What would you have preferred to hear? Or how do you think would have been a better way to put that over to you? I think there was, um, there was varying degrees of, of empathy, depending upon where I was in terms of who I was seeing. Mm -hmm. So super specialists are so busy. It's so hard to get appointments. When you go there, you're, you're basically there all day. Um, you're given all these tests and you're put in a little room without windows and no one comes back in for hours and you don't know where you are, whether you should risk running out and go to the bathroom because you don't want to miss them coming in the room. Cause you know, the minute you, you leave, that they're going to come in the room. Um, so that is distressing and being, not being able to do what I want. I'm a big reader and I used to read a lot of technical Journals, obviously, uh, working on a doctorate, you're reading a lot of that kind of material and just the kind of things that I did in my professional life. It's hard to do that. I can only do that in little pieces. Um, Scanning on the computer makes me feel like I'm bobbling around. Mm. If I move or turn too quickly, sometimes my balance system will just kind of turn off and I'll literally... Mm -hmm. Almost, I've had a couple near falls. So it's that that visual currency of like doing this doing this program. I decided that I wasn't going to do my usual reading during the day. Mm-hmm. Today, I was going to. I, I did a little bit each day to think about what we would talk about, and there are things that I didn't do today so that I could have my visual currency for the the talk tonight. It sounds like visual currency has to do with, well, I only have, I don't know, I'm going to make up a number. Let's say two hours of time where I can really use my eyes to focus. And so then I've now got to decide how I will distribute that throughout the day before it gets too exhausting. That's right. That's right. And some of the things I do is large print books, Mm-hmm. Or available audiobooks. There's a lot of anxiety with this. I use audiobooks at night. Sometimes they're uplifting. Sometimes they're just a, a story that's not too complex. And because both of my conditions happened overnight, I still have that anxiety of going to sleep and, and thinking that this is going to happen again. So I'll put an audiobook on to try and relax and, and go back to sleep. Because my condition is, is rare, it's, uh, there's only about 6,000 new cases a year of this, is that for all the other diagnoses that we talked about in the beginning, the cataracts, the glaucoma, and so forth, um, diabetic retinopathy, is that abnormal vision is never normal. 
And I think also during this time of the pandemic, like people have put off other kinds of routine exams, like don't put off your eye exam. Um, a lot of times you can't tell some of the changes that happen with these conditions can be very subtle over time and your body adapts to them and you don't really realize it till it gets to a certain, certain critical point. It's not always like mine, which was very dramatic, you know, this happened. So it can happen very subtly. And there's other things that can be helpful in terms of refractive errors, in terms of wearing glasses, changes in glasses, cataract surgery, even with the macular degeneration and, and glaucoma, having treatments that can prevent further vision loss or delay vision loss. And it's so important that if you think something is wrong, that you do something about it. We know our own bodies. And so don't wait, you know, do something about it to preserve your vision because vision impairment and vision loss are one of the top 10 disabilities. And one of the things that people fear most in terms of loss of independence. Yeah, I can see that. I can imagine how scary it must be to wake up and, and not see properly. Is there anything that you've learned along your journey that you know now that you wish you knew in the beginning? One of the things in terms of the language was that when I was first describing my vision loss, where I lost the bottom half of my vision, as I used the word shadow, and I don't think I was forceful enough in explaining to the doctor what was wrong, because so often when you do go to the eye doctor, they're interested in, did you have an explosion of floaters? Did you see a fireworks? So they're looking at a certain narrow range of diagnoses where mine was more, it was more of a shadow. And actually as the optic nerve swelled, the shadow got darker and darker and darker. And in many eye conditions, you have to get help as soon as possible, or you could have a permanent vision loss and other kinds of conditions. The other thing is I haven't come across any acronyms for eye emergencies. So when you think about people that you, that you learn about with stroke, you think about fast or be fast. Mm -hmm. So fast, you know, the face, the arm weakness, the speech difficulty, time to call 911. I haven't come across anything like that for an eye emergency to encourage, to help with education and to encourage people to seek help immediately for abnormal vision is not normal. The other thing is that my, my symptoms didn't seem very urgent at the time. And I, the diagnosis was initially missed. And then there was the delayed diagnosis. And that was very frustrating for me because in some cases, there are medications that can be given, but they have to be given within a certain amount of time. And I was very frustrated that I may have missed that window, which made it more upsetting because you'd think that maybe something else might have been able to be done to preserve my vision. So those are the probably the two main things for that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And what about any myths or misconceptions that you think are necessary to dispel when it comes to vision loss or, or dealing with conditions such as yours? 
I think first is that vision loss is an inevitable part of aging. Oh, well, you're old, so your vision is going to be lost. Well, one of the, again, I've had some very good care and I've also had some, some people that have said things that you just go, what? So in, in one appointment, and again, with COVID, I had to go in by myself for most of this. One person said to me, well, you're retired now, right? Oh, that's why I'm, yeah, I don't need my vision. Yeah, I'm retired. So yeah, maybe that person didn't mean it like that, but that was like, really? We're just people thinking inevitably that um, if their vision changes, oh, well, I'm older, so my vision has changed or mom's older, so her vision's changed or whatever. No, no, abnormal vision is never normal. There's often something that can be done if you get to the right practitioner. I think that that's, there, there is hope and there is help and uh, you have to be willing to ask for that help. You mentioned the person saying, oh, well, you're retired now, almost as if retired folks don't need their vision. <laughs> you mentioned earlier that some folks basically said, well, you know, be glad that you're not blind and I'll see you in a couple of months. Right. And if you had to give the news to yourself, how would you have rephrased that statement so it didn't sound as dismissive as it came off? Right. I think in terms of giving me the news, I think it could have been, it might've been helpful if they had let my husband come in. Mm, okay. I got, I got the news by myself. Mm-hmm. And I remember that the, the first doctor that told me, um, I remember looking over to the technician and she just looked at me and then looked down at her feet and I was just in shock. And like, again, with COVID, no one could give you a hug. My husband couldn't be with me. So I think if, he, if they could have let him in, if they could have said, I'm sorry, but we do have some bad news to tell you. And, you know, this might be a really upsetting for you. So we want to tell you this and we want you, you know, make sure that you're, that you're okay. And, and you'll, you know, that you're safe and just, kind of give me a little hug, yes. a virtual hug mm-hmm. before you tell me that my vision is lost and it's not likely to come back. Right. Um, just a little virtual hug, at least even with the mask on, make eye contact, use kind words and just let me know that you're going to tell me bad news, but then I'm going to be okay. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be safe and we're going to get your husband and, you know, would you like a drink of water, anything to, mm-hmm. to, to just be a little bit more kind and whatever they could do to, to tell me that. And then going to the super specialist and um, that specialist sees people with all terrible conditions, brain tumors, multiple sclerosis, all sorts of terrible things. And so on the spectrum of where I fit in, I'm probably, I'm not at the, at the top of the bell curve there or over on this side, I'm over here. And I get that. And when I had patients that would come to me for physical therapy and they'd come to the PT gym and they'd see other people that had other types of problems and they go, Oh, I shouldn't even be here. My problem isn't nearly as bad as what these people are going through. Maybe I shouldn't even come. And I would say to them, look, 
your problem is affecting your daily life. It's affecting your function. It's affecting what you want to do. It's affecting with your interaction with other people and it's affecting your well-being. Your problem is important too. Yes, it's different from their problem, but it's still a problem that's affecting your life and you deserve to have physical therapy and care as well as the next person does. And I think that when you go to these centers where people do have much worse, I'll say problems than you do, is that sometimes you feel like, okay, I should just kind of slink away and be happy for what I have. And then you go, you know what? No, this has affected my whole life. It's affected my professional life, my my roles as a wife and mother and grandmother, because I can't do the things that I used to do. So I, I deserve some empathy and, and care as well. You do. I love the way you frame that. Thank you. That was very beautifully articulated. I have a question about, and I, I love how you brought in your physical therapy experience, because my next question relates to what's the experience like being on the other side of care. You're normally in the spot where you're the one providing the care and now you're the one receiving the care. How how has that transition been? That's been very frustrating on two parts. First is that at a previous job, I had a position in a large hospital in a leadership position and I knew everybody. I worked there for 20 years. I knew everyone. When I did need care for different things, I knew the people and I knew I was going to be well taken care of. You knew you were going to be taken care of by a member of your professional family and you felt comfortable with that. They knew your name and you just said, okay, I I know I'm going to be well taken care of. When you transition to that other level, number one being female, I'll say older, and I'm not wearing my white coat that designates me as a healthcare professional I basically became invisible. I felt I was invisible a lot of times. And you're and I know that because of the, the type of testing and things they have to do, you're moved from part to part to part to part to part and then back and then you start over and you go back and this goes on for a long time. But you just feel like you're you're just in a you're, you're just not a person sometimes, like you're just moved along, like to the next test and the next test and the next test. And I, I miss that personal connection, especially as a physical therapist, I'm used to hands on with my patients, you know, that's part of physical therapy is you're, you're touching patients, you're hands on, you're interacting with them, you're seeing them in their, in their, in their most difficult moments and you're encouraging them and you're moving them along, but you're empathetic at the same time. And I think that's one of the strengths of being a physical therapist in general is that we, we know how to push and how to comfort at the same time to, to move people along to the next level. And sometimes it just feels very sterile. It just is very sterile. You don't have that, as I talked about, like that virtual hug. Do you have an example of when advocacy worked for you? My my best advocate has been my husband. Because of where I am in my journey with my vision loss, I haven't been able to 
reach out and, and go beyond taking care of myself for a while. So my husband took care of me. I've been able to take more care of myself. I've been able to do more. I'm back to doing a lot of the things that I was doing before. But what he did for me in terms of walking me to the mailbox, bringing me a cup of coffee when I needed it, taking walks, endless walks with me so that I could get my endurance back, um, being so patient with me with golf, with using that to get my balance and strength and endurance back. Um, you know, he's just been amazing. I've just been so fortunate to have him by my side. And as I've been able to get stronger and advocate for myself, again, being in all these different health systems, requesting my records, which should be a phone call, not three phone calls, and not talking to different people. And just the other day, I was on the phone, I had called to get a record that I hadn't received yet. And it was a very important record, because it turns out that one of my risk factors, which no one believed because I didn't look like it. I have sleep apnea, which contributed to this problem because of low blood pressure and oxygen levels going down. So that was a contributing factor to the eye stroke that I had. So I'm, I'm on the phone and I get to the office and the office person said, which office are you calling? And I said, oh, I'm not sure. She goes, you don't know which office you're calling? And I'm, I had put the, the name in my phone, but the number didn't come up, just the name of the doctor. So I said, well, give me a minute. I have to, you know, look at it. She hung up on me. Oh, wow. <laughs> I wasn't fast enough. <laughs> so she hung up. So, um, yeah. <laughs> I, I called back. I I got the number, I called back, you know, gave her the number and just, you know, and, and it took three, it, it ended up taking three phone calls for me to get, to get my reports, because again, the health systems don't interface with each other. It's even within the same health system, sometimes they're so specialized that their computer programs don't interface with each other. Right. It sounds like your husband is your best advocate. He is my best and, and, and what I'm hoping for is that as I've gained strength, as I've had more better days than bad days, is that I can help other people along the way. And I haven't quite figured out what that's going to be yet, but maybe this is a start encouraging uh, people to get their vision checked, to know that it's not normal to have abnormal vision, that there's often something that can be done. And that there are health disparities in terms of vision loss and that, uh, you know, uh, we know that racial, ethnic and minority groups are less likely to be screened for eye disease. They have a higher prevalence of eye disease. They have more severe forms of eye disease. They're less likely to receive eye care. And when they do receive care, it may not be adequate or per recommended guidelines. You know. I don't know if there's something that I can can do with that. Maybe start out with education in terms of I used to I used to speak with different groups. I, I'm I'm kind of seeing where I might be of help because 
after needing help for so long over the past five years, I think I'm finally in a place again where maybe I can start to give some help. That's lovely. I noticed that you, sounds like you almost summarized quite a few tips there and in your statement of things that um, you would give that can benefit others. I wonder if you had any tips on how to deal with what you termed earlier, the emotional distress of vision loss. I thought that was an interesting phrase. How did you get over that distress and what would you tell to someone who's experiencing something like that for the first time? Well, a lot of, there was a lot of tears. Mm -hmm. Um, I won't say there weren't days that I felt sorry for myself. The best thing was to try and follow a routine. Get up, have the cup of coffee, try and just, just getting up, having coffee, getting dressed, and just trying to follow a little routine every day. Don't make it so difficult that you can't achieve it. Give yourself, as my granddaughter would say, clap, clap. Give yourself, give yourself more clap, clap. Yeah. Or just getting out of bed, getting dressed, getting coffee, um, maybe making lunch for your husband without the paper between the cheeses. <laughs> and... Um, gradually working back to some of the things that you used to do, maybe you have to do them a different way, but there are ways you can adapt and compensate. And again, this goes back to, I'm fortunate. My husband's an occupational therapist and we've adapted things in the house in terms of lighting and safety and things like that. But don't be afraid to reach out for help referral to a physical therapist or an occupational therapist there are low vision specialists that can help as well. The balance retraining, find something that you enjoy. Things that I used to, I, I play piano. Well, the piano music is very small. Yeah. I had to go to a music store. My husband drove me to the music store and I bought large, piano, print. large print. Yeah. Large print books. The audio books have been life saving. But I found that um, trying to get outside even just a few minutes is helpful in terms of kind of grounding yourself and just being kind to yourself. If you need to take a nap, take a nap. If you need to, you know, rest. If, if, you, have a, if you have feelings that are um, upsetting and anxiety producing, accept those feelings. Like, okay. Sometimes people go to you, well, just perk up, just be happy, just, you know, just smile, you know, try and, you know, try and look at the bright side. Um, if you if you don't are feeling bad, you know, sometimes you let those feelings wash over you. You don't want to sink into, uh, if you feel that you're depressed, obviously you need to reach out for other help. But it, I find that my emotions were kind of all over the place. And then as I started to get better, they started to even out a little bit more, but I did reach out for help and, and it's okay to do that. Some people like to say, I don't like to ask for help or it's hard for me to reach out for help. What do you say to folks who tell you that? I mean, I guess I'm going to reach out for help, Judith, but it's so hard. How do I actually do it? <laughs> it, it is hard to reach out for help, especially um, working for so many years as the person that gave the help, the mm -hmm. one that was in charge, the one that always 
not always had the answer, but I had the answer a lot of times and, and people always looked to me and it was, it was really hard being on the other side, but I wanted to get back to my life and I knew I couldn't do it without some support and just realizing that there are times in my life, there are times in your life when you lift up, up, when you lift other people up and there's times in your life when you need to let them lift you up mm -hmm. and be open to accepting that um, whether it's maybe they want to drop a casserole off. Maybe they want to go to the post office and buy you stamps. You know, maybe they'll, they'll run and do your shop right grocery pickup for you. Just say, yes, it's okay to do that. Judith, as we wrap up, do you have any closing thoughts to share? I do. I would say keep up with your annual visits and eye exams. You want to look at prevention, limiting the loss of your vision, delaying any further loss. Use uh, low-tech things to help you, like we talked about on the smartphones, large print audiobooks. Stay updated on new treatments because there are new things that are in the works and that you may need to go to a, an eye center like Will's Eye in Philadelphia to, to find out what some of the latest treatments are. Stay active, walk, try and resume your activities as much as possible. Don't wait, don't wait to seek help. And I'll say it again, is abnormal vision is never, is never normal. Thank you so much, Judith. Abnormal vision is never normal. It was an absolute delight having you as a guest at the Good Health Cafe today. Oh, thank you so much. It's just such a pleasure to speak with you. And uh, I really appreciate being a guest on your program. It was my honor. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Remember, abnormal vision is never normal. If you heard something useful on today's episode, please, please share it with a friend. I also encourage you to sign up for our mailing list on thegoodhealthcafe.com. The link is in the episode summary. And remember, if you're considering joining the lounge, please reach out to me. Until next time, see you in the cafe later. Bye.